My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast and my guest today is Elaine Feeney and our topic of today is tapping into creativity and the career pivot. Elaine, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Yay, thanks for having me. Delighted to be on. It's great and the listeners may not know but we know each other how. How? Well, we know each other, go way back in the day through pony clubs and horse riding and um, loads of, yeah, yeah, through just teenage horses, I suppose. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's wonderful to see a fellow Galwegian do fantastically well and you've a, a new novel out as you were. So we'll talk, we'll create, make time for that later on in the podcast. And for me, I was interested to see your career progress um you know so I'd, I'd I'd see your name written in the Galway advertiser and you know you became known as as a poet you know and this is all about creativity and I often admire people who are able to um you know focus on their passions and make that a, a, a make their dreams a reality and this is clearly what you're doing you know so yeah. so where should we begin so how did you how did you start your journey because you started yeah. in teaching. Well, it's really interesting. And it, 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 it was so interesting, you know, to, to hear from you. And it was really nice. And it brought me back to that time, actually, thinking about ponies and horses and all of that. And um, I was never really good at it, uh, at that. And I always thought that you had to be like a super brave person. And I'd always felt a bit of a failure around that area, you know. So when you, yeah. when you contacted me, I was like, oh, but I've left that part of my life behind, you know, because yeah. I wasn't good at it. And I suppose around that same time, um, you know, growing up in rural Ireland um, is quite isolating. And obviously the teenage years are filled with all that black angst and stuff. Yeah. And I remember it was a eureka moment. The poetry was definitely one of those. It was one of those moments that I remember really, really clearly being in school. Um, I went to school in Athenry and the teacher read out a Patrick Kavanagh poem. And the poem is Inishkeen Road. And I've said this before, but it was this moment of... So the poem goes, the bicycles go by in twos and threes and there's a dance in Billy Brennan's barn and the poet isn't invited or isn't at it or or for some reason is outside of the gang. Yeah, and I think I, I felt very, I don't know what I was, I think, outside of gangs. I was never very good at, you know, being the centre of, of, you know, I found friendships quite hard at that stage in life. Yeah. And I remember listening to that poem going, oh, wow, okay, right, so this guy right he's isolated and he's out in the middle of nowhere in the countryside too and but he's all right he's okay and he's going to make his own kingdom because that's the end of the poem and I thought to myself you know good man Patrick Kavanagh if it's good enough for you it's good enough for me and I started to write poems and I loved it and it just lit a fire in me and I just I couldn't get enough of them I went used to go to the library in school at lunchtime and (laughs) Sounds so nerdy. I did go to the library in school at lunchtime and there was a big Dylan Thomas book and I used, that's a Welsh poet and I used to just, I devoured it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how that started. And it's funny, like it's the way that you perceive people because you don't realise people have that side to their personality. When I saw you in in Rockmont, that would never have been revealed. Did you you think I was just pure cool? I think I I thought you were class lame, but anyways, that's that's another day's story, you know. And but you don't know, and that's I think that is so important, and I think especially for young people to realize everybody. And I know it's such a cliche to say everybody's on their own journey, but they are. The internal machine is a whole different beast, isn't it, to the physical yeah. person that you put forward. 
Um, you can you can be in a hellish landscape, and you know I I did feel that like growing up, I felt it was I f- I found it very hard to navigate it, and poetry sort of made every it, it made things it made sense to me the the minds of these poets they just made sense. Yeah, and I think like for me, you know, this is the whole. Actually, it's a poem that actually got Yellowwood from. No, I may have misinterpreted the poem as years gone by, but that's where Yellowwood came from. The yeah. road not taken by Robert Frost, oh, yeah. and I do think we have our own path to take uh, yeah. in life, you know. And and for me, my biggest learnings were when something didn't work out. Yeah. You know, what did I learn from that? And what is my real path? You know, and it, I think that's really what I want from this podcast is is really to find your own path into whatever success means to you. It doesn't always have to be wealth or whatever. It's about tapping yeah. into that, your inner potential. And, you know, today we're talking about creativity and your career. And, you know, maybe tell the listeners then, you know, how did you get onto that path from, reading poems to writing poems to maybe yeah. even talking to your in front of other people about your poems you know yeah no it's a great question because actually i i know for a fact that there's so many secret poets out there that never make the jump between the private writing in private and then bringing them to the public i suppose there's something there has to be something in me that wanted people to hear them you know it's all well and good saying oh, i was secretly writing just for myself but obviously i wasn't you know, I don't know yeah. if that's the ego or what it is. I was teaching. So I, I went to UCG back in the day in the 90s, did arts. And there was only one avenue out of arts for, you know, for me was to be a teacher because obviously um, that's what my mother told me I should be. Yeah. So I was like, OK. And she said, well, you know, teaching is good and there's great holidays and blah, blah, blah. So I, yeah, so I went, but I started teaching awfully early. I was only, I was 21 when I got my first full-time job. Wow. And my, per- my permanent job in Tume. And um, yeah, I, I love teaching. I mean, it's a, it, it, it was it was really, really fulfilling. I, I've been doing it for 20 years, but there was a real itch in me to 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 really explore creativity, my own creativity. And what did I want to say? Yeah. So I had I had my first son very young and I, there's an experience in that that definitely made me uh, Angry isn't the right word to use. Like, obviously, I was delighted to have him, but there was something about the whole maternity ward hospital that ignited something in me that I I just felt Ireland was in a very strange place politically. This was pre-repeal, obviously, pre-marriage equality. And I just said, you know, poetry might be a good angle to for me to investigate some of these topics. So I suppose that's that's how that started. And obviously, as an English teacher, you're teaching poems every day. So you know, when I, I notice for me what goes in comes out. So when I read a lot of poetry, I want to write a lot of poetry. So yeah. if that if there's any takeaway from that for anybody with respect to creativity uh, and what you're interested in, you know, yeah. immerse yourself into it, I think is important. You have to, you know. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's tapping into that that inspiration, isn't it, of yeah. others. And that kind of lights up different areas of your brain, really, if, you know, if you want to say that. Yeah, well, absolutely. And um, I mean, I, I've, I'm i one of these sad people that has taken to needlepoint during lockdown. I said that to somebody yesterday and they started laughing, thinking I was joking. But I said, no, it's just something to do with my hands. And it takes me away because what happens then, too, is when because I've become a writer now and I'm not comfortable with calling myself a poet, actually. I, I don't know why. I, I, yeah. I can say I'm a writer, but I can't say I'm a poet. I feel okay. there's, a weight, there's a weight to that. that, that yeah. That, I'm an oracle and I can tell some truths and I, I don't think I can do that. Like I yeah. really don't. But so, you know, some craft with my hands sort of takes my mind off myself. I need to get out of my own head then sometimes also. Okay. I think it's balance for me. Okay. And and did you find, you know, when you're writing poetry then, right, if you're more comfortable with, with me phrasing it that way, um, <laughs> was it a part of self-exploration or was it a part to express frustration or was it like a way to process what was going on for you what was that you're you're just you've just hit the nail actually all of those things but for me I I've realized sort of watching back and and people have asked me a lot in the last year since the novel has come out about my process and they're interested in my process so I've had to actually start to sit down and think about it 
I think it's I decant information. That's the only way I can describe it. And for me, writing is a control. So yeah. in that moment that I'm writing, I'm in control weirdly and I can control because I think the world is so massive and, and I my my brain works quite quickly and I take on a lot of information a lot of the time. And yeah. Sometimes that's not always a good thing. I can be a bit of an information junkie. Um, so when I write, I actually feel like I'm in control. So I actually have to write every day. It's, it's, it's almost a compunction, you know. Yeah. And it seems like there's a bit of discipline there. So I remember hearing Dan Brown at the Web Summit a couple of years ago, and yeah. he was saying he was very disciplined. He was a teacher um, as well. And he used to get up at five o'clock in the morning, write for two hours, then uh, cycle to the school for 45 minutes or something like that yeah and, and then and be very disciplined in the uh, approach and I remember Roald Dahl had his own routine where he had a little cabin out the back or a little hut out the back of his house a small little tiny shed or room if you wanted to call that and it was typical Roald Dahl was yeah you know that that gorgeous kind of aesthetic look to it but he had a big chair he used to slump down into and he used to bring over a little writing table and a cup of tea and 20 cigarettes <laughs> and off he went you know it it's, so, like, so I'm not saying that you have the cup of tea and the 20 cigarettes but what is what is your way of tapping into that creativity to I suppose to create that writing discipline or routine yeah no it's a great question um yeah, you have to be disciplined. You have to turn up at the desk because it's an intrinsic thing. It's an intrinsic motivation, you know, and I, mm. I, I'm always really impressed with people who are motivated like that, that they have an internal motivation that doesn't come from any other, um, any outside push. You know, nobody's pushing me to do this. And actually, my mother said that to me one day. I said, uh, I was absolutely wiped out. And she said, well, no one's forcing you to do this. And, and it, she, she was making a very valid point, but I was kind of going, oh, mother, it's far more complicated than that. But I so I have my desk here. This is a ki the kitchen. I'm in the kitchen of my um, house. It's, a, it's an open plan kitchen, but I have my back to the wall. That's important. This is weird now, but this is really yeah. important. I have to have my back to this wall uh, and I look out on the field. So I grew up in this house and then I bought this house when I was in my 20s. And there's something about that that I, I that's very important to my process. Okay. Um, and going back to Dan Brown, actually, when so I did the jump from poetry to the novel and that came about, this is a funny story, actually, that came about when I was doing a tour in Canada with the poems. I was reading at a very lovely poetry festival in Ottawa and the, the guy that was introducing four of us, um, three other amazing writers got up before me. So, you know, I was third or fourth and they've won Pulitzer Prizes and Booker Prizes. And one guy was actually um, Raul Zarita, Chilean poet. He was tipped to win the Nobel Prize. And then they introduced me and they said, and Elaine Feeney is from Galway and she has two sons, Jack and Finn. And I said, oh, lads. <laughs> We, we, have, we have to do a bit of work here. Okay. <laughs> so I read, um, I came back, I said, oh, here, who's very prolific? And I got Stephen King's On Writing, as tacky yeah. as that may sound. And I read his book On Writing and I just, I just thought his advice was brilliant. It was, write the book, shut up and write the book. <laughs> wow, simple as that. <laughs> I know he didn't say it, he was far more eloquent. No, his yeah. thing was, yeah, seven days a week, in front of the whatever if it's typewriter computer pen it doesn't matter sit there put the sentences together yeah and so that's good advice for our listeners you know yeah it's yeah just, but it is yeah it is sorry so it's it's a it's a habit then what you're saying totally yeah it's a habit but um i think for me I don't know. I think you have to really want something, don't you? You have to really, mm. really want it. And I think when you do, you'll find the path. You'll get there. You'll seek out the other people that are doing it well or that you admire. Um, and you'll say, well, what what does Stephen King do or Dan Brown or Edna yeah. O'Brien? What was Edna O'Brien doing? How did Edna O'Brien do this? You know, and yeah, so he 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 says, write the book, leave it rest, edit it once and then send it off. Um, now, I, did, I can't work that quickly I'd have to edit eight or nine times but yeah okay and is, yeah you know what I really admire people who just follow their their dreams and you know for me I, I did something similar is that I really modeled myself on who was really good so I yeah. sought these people out now I'm lucky now some of these people call me peers and I'm like 
no way. Uh, I nearly cursed her, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, until you make it. <laughs> yeah, and it, for me, it was like it's like stepping stones. Like you just do one page or one little activity, and you're getting closer to ever who your role model is. And you know, I I, I always love that that um that phrase. I'm going to paraphrase now, but it's kind of like an artist. It wasn't born with a paintbrush in their hand. You know, it's just like they had to learn something too. And then you just have the focus or the motivation to keep doing it. You know, is that similar in your experiences? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I teach creative writing at university um, in Galway and NUIG. And, you know, like I, I've taught the most amazing bunch of talented students over the past few years. But one thing that I do I, it's, I won't say get frustrated with, but what I'm trying to say to them is exactly what you said, one step at a time. And um, if you if you want to write good poetry, you need to be reading good poetry. So you have to put in the work, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you, you, you can't just turn up like at the prom and sit there and think you'll write some sort of sonnet, you know, that's going to be absolutely fantastic if you've never read a sonnet. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work, like, you know. Yeah. Um, exactly what you said, you have to learn bit by bit. And I think... Um, people can give up because they get frustrated and also particularly in the writing world but I'd say all art and business as well rejection yeah. is part of the game it's, it is a huge huge part of it yeah. if I give up every time I got rejected or somebody told me um, you know said something that wasn't particularly nice or gave me a piece of criticism I'd have given up the first day I ever went to read a poem at a poetry slam you know so yeah. I think that's another part to it as well. You need to learn, you need to put in the work, but you also have to be careful who you're taking your criticism from. Yeah. So like you said, you admired these who are now your peers. So there was some reason you admired them and they seem to have been supportive. You do need supportive people that that yeah. work in your favor, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you but need you those champions, don't you? You know, and, and it's it's funny, the very first podcast was with a guy called Pierre Bata, and we talked about humanity at, at work. And it was it's a leadership uh, episode. But it's funny, you know, like I saw huge qualities in him. And likewise, I was kind of blind to my own qualities, you know, yeah. and and we really established that that connection. And when I was when I met Pierre first, I was very nervous. I was kind of, you know. I had that imposter syndrome going on and I was able to benchmark myself. Now, when I went into that room when I was in Harvard, I was able to figure out, right, I know I'm not in the top five. I know I'm not <laughs> in the top top 15, but I'm there, thereabouts. And after that, and there was 80 people in the room. Yeah. So for me, if you're able to benchmark yourself, you're able to say, listen, this is the standard. This is where I need to yes. get up to. And I need to get up at the top. How do I get there? What am I missing in terms of my my toolkit? That, that's really good because um, I agree with you, like in writing. Yeah, you know, you're kind of there or thereabouts. There's a level like obviously books are subjective and, you know, someone will love a book and someone will hate a book. But um, but can the person write? I think that's very important in all areas. And like you said, you were in the room. I think get yourself into the room if you can, whatever your room <laughs> is, get in there and and look you know, there, there, there's challenges to being in that top five as well. Like I, I kind of, I like the middle section, you know, I'm yeah. comfortable there because everything good that happens to me is a very nice surprise then. It's like, oh, but um, go, we should talk about imposter syndrome because I was doing something recently and it was a launch of um, a lovely, a brilliant literary magazine called The Stinging Fly that I edited with Lisa McInerney, um, a, another great a writer that's living in Gort. And um, so she edited the fiction and I edited the poetry. So we had the the, the Zoom launch. And what we, I noticed so many people felt they had imposter syndrome that their piece was picked to be edited and put into the magazine. And obviously all the pieces were very good and they were off such a high standard because we got hundreds of submissions. Yeah. They all, loads of people said that about it. And... I, I won. It's a, it's deadly, really. Imposter syndrome, isn't it? It really yeah. is. I, if I could go back to my younger self, and you know, I, I I'm a no regrets type of person. But if I could go back, it would be to say, believe in yourself. And I don't know, yeah. is it the school system here? I don't know. Were we in the eighties told enough, <laughs> William? What was it like for you? Were you told believe in yourself? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I got the messages from certain people, but I think yeah. I definitely suffered from that. 
imposter syndrome. And I think it's part of Irish culture is it's that whole thing of, you know, do not show pride. You know, you're too big for your boots. You know, this is all part of the Irish psyche. You know, yeah. who does, is that ego is always seen as a negative thing in Irish culture. Like it used to be, you know, termed as a phrase, you know, an insult is like, that lad has a big ego. Yeah. And like, and like, so confidence straight away was bet out of you, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think there's a lot of people uncomfortable and it's with, with praise, but it's a bit like you were talking about rejection then, mm. you know, rejection is the worst thing we can hear because, you know, oh my yeah. God, I'm a failure. So I think there is a lot of work that needs, and I'm, I'm hoping to record a podcast on this actually, Elaine, so you never know, I might get you back uh, yeah, if you're okay with that. Um, you never know, we might have a group group conversation oh, or panel discussion but I do think there's there's that whole notion is that we are uncomfortable with feedback positive feedback and praise and we are also uncomfortable with rejection where does that leave you yeah it's that thing isn't it you have to hear praise seven times and a negative comment once well I actually think I have to hear praise 700 times and um, one, yeah. one negative comment now I'm I'm actually getting far better at it and um my husband is great like he he you know he he's always saying who are you listening to and do you admire them and you know yeah for me what happened was um a couple of years ago I got a call out of the blue from this wonderful literary agent in um London Peter Strauss he he's a um he's a really he was a great publisher um with Picador and he's someone I really massively admire. So I, I actually was in having my hair done. I'll tell the story. I was, I had bleach in my hair when the phone rang and it was um, a woman called Sinead Gleeson who uh, used to be Ron Ortiz book show. And she'd interviewed me in Monaghan at a literary event. And she rang this guy in London and said, you really need to read this woman's poetry. And he rang me, loved the poetry. I wanted to sign me on the back of that and um like it was just it was one of those kind of big shock change your life moments and he's his feedback has been one of the most reassuring things in my career to date actually because I really admire like I mean there's nothing the man doesn't know about books yeah and he'll really and he really listens and so I can take advice now and I can take criticism and you know there's certain people now I will take it from that I admire their work I think sometimes we can be, you know, going around in the dark in our careers even. And there's not enough, yeah, positive, constructive criticism um, from maybe bosses or whatever it is. People need it. They need feedback. Yeah. Wait. We absolutely do. Seriously. And, um, you know, your dad, I, I've kids, when, when I when I praise them, genuinely praise them, you know, like, yeah. you know, something, you know, they, 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 it lights up their face, like, you know, it yeah. really does. And uh, I, I've been a teacher for 20 years. It's the same thing. And we forget it sometimes as yeah. educators and as people in life. But the experience of bringing the novel into the world has taught me, I mean, so many fiction writers came back and blurbed. We call it blurb the book. They they give a quote, they read it. Yeah. Um, Roddy Doyle, Douglas Stewart, who won the Booker Prize, came with this amazing quote. I don't know these people. And they just reached out. And I just think yeah. that that's really decent. It, it's been a really lovely experience. So, yeah. And it's, it's it, that highlights a really important thing to me because we talked about, and I talked about my experiences about the top five you know, people, you know, you're trying to compare yourself and it's about where are you placing value in terms of the feedback you're, you're getting. So if there's so many that kind of is of kind of low social capital, they're just kind of telling you because, you know, you're, you're not, you know, because it's a nice thing to say, you're not going to place too much value on it. Whereas if you place too much value on maybe that and maybe not enough value on listen, well, this is what, you know, Roddy Doyle said to you, you know, or yeah. that person about the Booker Prize. Sorry, I forgot their name. Um, Douglas Stewart, no, you're fine. Doug, Douglas, yeah. And in terms of that, like, you have to remember that the people in the top five, they're successful for a reason. But then as I was reading a book about Daniel Kahneman, a, a famous Israeli psychologist, and um, they were talking about, look at people's personal lives, their own, complete disaster. So you were like saying, listen, I am happy you know, yeah. to be in the, the top 20, that's fine because there's costs associated then with the upper there layers is. there. And again, yeah. in terms of that, is that place and value is is like, well, 
if that person is telling you to be untrue to your values or your 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 morals, well, should you re- really be placing value on what they're saying? Yeah, you have yeah, you do really have to filter, don't you? Like a sieve, yeah. you have to. And I think I don't know, for me, age taught me that. And um like you know, I have good friends, uh, yeah, great family here. And um, I think that you, you have to cut away some of the chaff a bit and and really focus, yeah. hone in on what's important. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that takes time. That takes a lot of time, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. Not very many people come fully formed into the world yeah. know, knowing that. But going back to the top 5%, yeah, I would imagine it comes at a huge cost. Yeah. Those That level of success for people... Um, my husband has a great saying <laughs> when we're often sometimes we've had discussions about money as couples do <laughs> but uh, he goes to me you know be careful if you wish for money because that's all you'll end up with and yeah. I, it always struck with me he he just he's just this type of he's big into design and music and, and mindfulness and um but he not not at all motivated by anything material whatsoever sometimes yeah. it irks me a little bit like you know I'd like him to be a bit more motivated by it but he's right he said look around be careful yeah if you I don't know yeah. he probably plagiarized that from somebody but it's a good it's a good saying because he's right because he said it's it's probably all you'll end up with yeah, that is such a, yeah. a great phrase. And, you know, some people are, are listening to this and they're trying to stuck in their careers or maybe the pandemic, they don't have those outlets. And, you know, sometimes that creativity can really, you know, bring a, a light into people's lives, you know, and especially these dark winter months and the pandemic is going on. And like, for me, this is what the podcast is all about. It's yeah. tapping into that creativity, all my different uh, interests. And, you know, obviously it's a bit your environment then as well. So you're saying about Ray, your husband, then there's that creative environment that you're in. Is there something around that? Because you're both kind of creative people that, it lends yeah. itself to that discipline or that creativity. It definitely helps. We, I suppose we have our lives set up, you know, to welcome in whatever art, music, creativity. And, uh, you know, he took me seriously before I took myself seriously, which yeah. which he, he was the one I remember. Um, he found an ad, an ad, going back to the advertiser, this is a lot, you know, um, years and years ago, maybe 2004 or five, he found an ad in the Galway advertiser and um, it was for a poetry slam. And he said, you should go to this. You, I'll come home early from work to, to take over the childcare and you should go to this slam and, and perform at it. And I was like, are you mad? And he goes, well, you've loads of poems. Pick one and go to it. And I did. And he was he had taken my work seriously before I had. I was kind of, yeah. going, oh, God, exactly what you said. Oh, do I, that's mortifying. And, you know, um, and it was the first step. It was literally the first step to stand. And I'd say there was about 15 people in the king's head but I read my poem and a poetry slam is a thing where you get three minutes to read a poem and you know what it was quite blissful because for that three minutes no one could interrupt me (laughs) yeah so I had the ears of an audience for three minutes and it was something about that I was like oh this is quite cool (laughs) yeah and it's nerve-wracking as well you know I, I remember you know three minutes is it must feel like a couple of seconds I was absolutely beside myself with nerves and anxiety as well, because poetry is a thing. It's a deeply personal thing and, and, and in comparison to fiction. And that might be also why I jump ship, because I brought out four collections of poetry and the I in poetry is it's intense, you know, and you're revealing a lot, I think, um, more than, you know, in fiction, whether you're revealing or not, you can call it fiction. <laughs> Just yeah. say well, it's fiction. Um, but with poetry, you're revealing a lot. So, so you have the nerves of performing in public and then you've also the nerves of... Um, just what you're actually the subject matter of what you're talking about because yeah. I was a political poet and, and they were very on on the nail those poems but going back to the nerves about performing um you know if people as somebody once said to me um what is it with performance uh, particularly poets and they stand up and they they apologize so they stand up at an open mic or whatever it is and they're like I'm really sorry now I'm just going to read this little poem and I'm very sorry so they have apologized to the audience before they speak at all which makes the audience think 
God, should we actually be here at all? I feel like yeah. <laughs> this woman's about to have a breakdown. So um, somebody said to me, they've paid money to be in the audience or they're there. They're giving up of their time if it's free. So you owe them a performance. And I thought, yeah. that's a really good way of looking at it. So you owe yeah. them to be your best in that moment because they could be yeah. doing something else with their time. So Yeah. yeah. And it's a bit like they're de- you're devaluing yourself by apologising beforehand. You're sending the signal. Well, I don't have much to <laughs> offer. I'm I'm sorry I got in your way. You know, and, and that was one of the things is is for me when uh, you know I I help people with anxiety and 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 presence. Actually, that's another podcast we have. Uh, that's the one uh, that we just had is on executive presence. But I think there is that piece of you need to show up for yourself, and you know part of this podcast then is is you know that career pivot so you talked about jumping ship from you know um poetry to being a novelist and i think that is even itself is a huge jump you know but what i'd like to do is go back just a little bit more a couple of steps like you said you were teaching in tune how did you make the pathway then to being where you're at now what are the kind of that those little steps because that's what we're saying earlier on is it just didn't just happen overnight it's a bit like a a friend of mine said to me yesterday um they said you know what Willie um you're you're not an overnight success you've been 10 (laughs) or 20 years (laughs) yeah you've been 10 or 20 years in the making it's just you're reaping the rewards now you know And, and I think Imelda May had said something similar as well so Oh, there's a lot of talk, actually, yeah, right. So there's a lot of talk about breakout success and breakout books and people who just make it overnight. And no, I'm definitely not one of those either. Like I'm in this game quite a while. Like, um, But yeah, so the, the 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 jump of genre is interesting. So um, I've also, I also write plays, but what happened was in 2014, I got really ill um, I was at school a day and well, actually for the week I had been quite sick and I thought it was stress. Actually, I thought it was work stress. Yeah. I was very stressed at work. And yeah. um, you see, and also I work, uh, as you said, in a school in Tume and the, the, it's run by the archbishop like loads of schools are. And that's a conflict of interest for me. So, you know, I found that quite stressful around the time okay. of marriage equality and repeal. Mm. So I found I was taking that quite personally and I was getting myself quite worked up about it, actually. And I was at the same time writing these angsty political poems and, you know, going to pro-choice marches and what what, what have you. So I was in direct conflict, I suppose, for me yeah. internally with my employer. So I was getting stressed and I thought um, I thought it was stress, but I actually ended up extremely ill and being resuscitated in Galway Hospital. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I remember it so clearly. I left school on the Friday. Um, I won't go into I left not very I left uh yeah on a Friday and I knew I was getting sicker and sicker. And by I think it was the Tuesday, my I had gone to the doctor and they thought it was a chest infection. And then mum called over to see how I was and she said I was completely yellow, even my eyes were yellow, and she said she she literally had to bundle me into the car. And by the time I got to resource, the ICU doctor was called down and they did the whole dramatic ER resuscitation. And my mm. mother said she, it was the biggest shock of her life. Yeah. And um, they said I had an hour to live. One, I, I had sepsis or septicemia. And it was, oh, um, wow. yeah, yeah, quite complicated. So I was 18 months in recovery after that. And that was one of those life changing moments. Mm. So, so I said to myself, right. Elaine you know you just it is one of those moments where you look at yourself and you say you're mortal you're not here for a long time you're here for a good time yeah um you want to be a writer and then what happened was the hospital is an aural space so it's auditory chamber and when you're in hospital for anyone that has been in hospital you hear so many stories um and some of them are quite hilarious and (laughs) weirdly even in hdu like and what happened was I started to write and as you were came out of the experience and I suppose what also happened was um, it took me five years I was very slow because I didn't know how to write a novel so I had all these big huge boards in the kitchen and all this planning of the different characters and Ray was thrilled because he said finally now she's working hard <laughs> and she's, she'll produce something good and that's how, and that's it and it really was that thing of going 
you know, you can mess around here or you can actually yeah. put in the work. You can put in the work, sit at the desk. And and that's the career change for me as well. So this is my first year to take a career break because, you know, you're conscious about finances, especially for artists. You, you know, yeah. we don't make a lot of money. Literary fiction doesn't make, you know, it's not like. I was, that's why. <laughs> I'm not that's Dan why, Brown. Yeah, that's why I was eager to 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 promote you. You know, because oh, yeah. I think it's well, really important to support. I will, of course. You know, because my 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 cousin is is a musician in Australia, and I, I like if we don't have these muses or inspirations in our life, you know, well, you know, what is the point? Then it's all about money, isn't it? But look at this is the thing, and the poets that we keep quoting at the moment. Um, because and Biden quoted um, Seamus Heaney's poem in the well, he hasn't been inaugurated, whatever, when he, when yeah. he won the election. Um, the poets live on nothing, like on, they have to have jobs to support jobs. Now, the Arts Council are good in Ireland and they do help yeah. with grants and stuff, but you're absolutely right, and it doesn't. Um, Art is so important, but it's kind of the first thing that's cut constantly. Yeah. So I'd be very yeah. conscious of that. And you, you, you know, you really do need a support job. So most writers will teach, or they'll work at other things. Um, and teaching can be quite draining. So it's not always the most. You don't really come home from teaching and go, yeah, I'm going to sit down at the desk and work again. You, you want to go yeah. for a run, or you want to jump in the sea. Um, and to go back to Stephen King, he says that when he was teaching, he couldn't write that yeah. actually he had to get a job in laundromat just to do something physical and then write. So he couldn't actually be using his brain all the time because then he couldn't write his books. So I thought that was quite, that's quite interesting. But yeah, it took a year. Now, that's me. Like Ray would say, take the break, take a year off, see what you can do. Don't worry. We won't, we don't need to worry about money. Um, but I would be very a controlling type. I like yeah. to always make sure I'm responsible. So yeah. it's, so as an artist, I'm a little bit, that's a bit of a conflict because loads yeah. of artists would just go, yeah, whatever, great, going to Nocton yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I have an innate sense that I need to provide and I don't know, I, I find that hard to let go of, actually. Okay. And I think you've touched on a really important point because, um, again, sorry to be mentioning other podcasts, but we talked about <laughs> neuroscience. We yeah. talked about neuroscience. So we had a neuroscientist on called Caroline Nodebert and she talked about how we you know it's like a muscle you know you only have a certain amount of cognitive capacity there and when you use that all up you're, you're spent so I think part of the creative processes and that's what Stephen King was doing is you need to do something that's you know is lower you know in terms of your uh, cognitive drain you know and then then you're able then to to have that creativity piece because I know myself is that if I'm trying to design something new I have to be creative so I have to go for a walk or I have to find a way to create that space in my head and sometimes I have to problem solve something and just let that free so I can free up that kind of cognitive capacity if you want in my brain you know and I think well, you touched on it yeah. sorry yeah no, but just on that, just and I had thought about this earlier, you know, um, because it's Christmas uh, time and people are putting up their Christmas trees really early. And, you know, there's a lot of debate. Is it ridiculous? Is it not? I like obviously do whatever you feel. I wouldn't I'm not into judging people. But I think there's something about the process, even of that, of the decoration of a house. I think it's it's about actually physically doing something. I think people are being creative. I'm seeing houses yeah. that are like gone way OTT and it's wonderful because yeah. it's quite physical. There's something physical about decorating. Yeah, yeah so I think yeah. that's the creative thing. Sorry, go on. And I think there is something about movement and, and using your hands. It's a bit like we were talking before the podcast, you know, I use Lego Serious Play as a way to tap into people's creativity. You know, we talk about, and that reflection piece, you know, as well. And for me, I love actually DIY. Uh, you know, I had an old landlady and she knew if I had a complex problem at work because I'd be fixing loads of stuff around the house. And one day she saw me take down the front door and sand the whole thing and it was perfect. I saved it for a couple of hundred euro. And she says, <laughs> could we not have got someone to do that? And I says, I needed to work something out, you know, in my brain. So I'm actually I'm double job in here, you know. Well, well, yeah, just two, that's so, it, it, would you like to come here when you're overstressed as well? I have loads of painting jobs, <laughs> by the way. Um, loads of little things, because, you know, arty houses aren't always the best for DIY, but um, 
I notice that when I get that brain and it's 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 like a brain melt, it's brain overload yeah. completely and you start getting things and thank God the Google calendars. I nearly didn't even notice that your invitation to the podcast. But um yeah, so I cook actually. I take out and what I do is I just take out loads of ingredients from the fridge and I'll just start cooking and it really, really um I'm not wonderful at it at all, but it there's something about the process of it. It's yeah. just very, very therapeutic to me. It's just something. And if I take everything out, then I have to do something with it. So, yeah. um, and another thing as well, the, the second point on that with regard, I suppose it is about finding what you you like, not like don't go doing Lego because William says it or cooking because Elaine says it. Of course, it. yeah. What are, what are the things that you like to do? Um, and I think, you know, we, we there's so many, um, there's so much advice coming at people all the time get up at the same time every day, you know, go for this long walk. Well, you know, maybe you don't want to get up at the same time every day. Maybe one day you want to lie in bed and watch Netflix all day or Christmas movies. And that's okay too. It's the, you know, what what works for you and how do do you work late at night? Are you good in the morning? Do you need a nap? Do what you need to do. There's, you know, I think that there's loads of advice coming at us and we don't listen to ourselves enough. I feel, um, And, and it is about, some people don't like walking. Um, some people don't, somebody said to me, um, Yo, I do yoga, but I have to be in a good headspace to do it because yoga is a lot about thinking. So yeah. like what you said about Lego or the cooking, that that you have to be actively looking after that and doing that where yoga brings you into yourself. And do you want to be in yourself at that moment? It's not always the best place to be. Sometimes you need to get out of your head. Yeah, and like it's it's funny. Like we were talking about all the barriers and challenges to creativity because I was mentioned before the podcast. Now we have to tell the listeners we had a great old catch up <laughs> before, and it's been a long time since we spoke. Um, and and in terms of that, it's it's we, I was talking about. Well, is that why you went to poetry? Because when you had small kids, you know, you were just overwhelmed with everything. That maybe that's all you were probably able. It was that that was the small step you could take at the time. It's so funny. Everyone keeps going. And you've moved from poetry into novel writing and all that. And um, people don't like to bring up motherhood. It's impossible sometimes to juggle all this stuff. Like, how yeah. could I sit? Like, this novel took so much out of me. Um, you know, I was literally throwing, you know, sandwiches at the, the kids, but they're teenagers now, so they could kind of accept it. But you're so right. When they're small, you have maybe about a half an hour or an hour when they've gone to bed and you've settled them and you've all the stuff done for the next day and you're working full time. You can write a poem in 24 hours. So that's exactly why it's a shorter form yeah. I, I did love it and I do love it I, so I don't mean to disparage it or dismiss it but it was just more immediate and I had a quicker success rate at it because you know you could finish something quickly so if a novel yeah. is taking five years that, that's a big investment right and yeah. you're not seeing any and you're also not getting any kind of feedback loop you're not getting yeah. any nice sort of yeah. oh that was a lovely poem Elaine oh you yeah. know you wrote a great paragraph today Elaine you know yeah. so definitely yeah t- time I don't know. What do you think, William? People are always on about time and time drain. I don't know. I think our phones have a lot to do with what, what we're wasting our time with at the moment. Yeah, I, it's, yeah, I do. I Yeah, I I actually teach a lot of, about time management and, and productivity. And, you know, for me, what I'm doing at the moment is to get more reading in, right? If I've changed my habits and yeah. what I'm doing is I'm like it's funny last year like what I started doing was charging my phone downstairs um yeah and I don't bring it up to bed and, and and stuff like that so I read on a kindle or or a book and um so I'll either wake up early and instead of reaching for my phone and get overwhelmed with what Trump has said now you know or <laughs> yeah. what's what's happening with Brexit I got completely overwhelmed with Brexit that's why I've, I'm sitting <laughs> in my cabin here uh, I was just lucky um, you know that I had it for when the pandemic came along but I think do think there is 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 we're we're overwhelmed by technology now and it is an inhibitor to creativity and that okay. cognitive space that we need to even process for ourselves what's going on yeah. you know and I think I think if you're not present, you know, you are going to be constantly working in your head. And sometimes you just need to be, it's a bit like that yoga piece or going for a walk. Um, you know, you do need to tap into that mindfulness piece, yeah. how, whatever form, 
you know, whether it be cooking or DIY like myself. And and again, it goes back to, you know, that the lady that we had on, the neuroscientist, she was talking about the DEN, is the direct experience network, that we have to really connect with our bodies. And that actually recharges our mental battery. So yeah. I do think there's a, there's a lot uh, to that. And I think this is what, you know, you talk about, you had your moment in terms of ICU and being resuscitated. And to be honest, I was afraid to ask you what that was. I read it in one of your blurbs, you know, because I was kind of going, yeah. what happened? You know, so I'm glad you brought it up. And I think the pandemic has really allowed people to reevaluate their jobs. Their It's all about relationships. And it's a relationship with yourself, relationship with your children, uh, working sometimes with your partner, which I've, you know, okay. I've heard uh, certain people. And you had that moment. And I think this is what... If you if you're really able to check in with yourself, you're going to go, okay, what is really important to me? You know, it's a bit like that conversation you had with yourself, isn't it? But totally, and the busy. You know, we talk about the busy, and I really re- went back to reevaluate the busy. So obviously, you're teaching, you're busy, you have kids, you're busy, you're trying to do the poems, you're busy, you have family. Um, but I also noticed I was the type of person, and I am the type of person I absorb a lot of other people's problems. Okay. Um, and um, from very young age, actually, and almost take on the responsibility of things yeah. that weren't that wasn't my responsibility. And and I think when you do that, you're running from something else. Actually, I think you're 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 constantly on the go. So you know, I'd ring someone that was in a crisis coming home in the car from yeah. from work, even though I should really have probably put on Lyric FM and just looked after myself. <laughs> you know, yeah. because you know, I do notice that. It, Look, I, I'd be a good friend and I have some great friends, but there's some friends that have the same problems over and over again for like yeah. since childhood. And you're not helping them, but I thought I was. And I realized yeah. back when I evaluated it, a lot of my time was spent um, on a wham- hamster wheel a bit and yeah. get off it. And yeah, it wasn't really I wasn't really seeing things clearly. Like I keep saying to Ray during lockdown, he thinks I'm losing it. I keep going. The light today is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> it's like because there were like that's that's what I mean. We weren't even looking at the sky. You know, you're rushing yeah. somewhere. You don't even notice it. And I said, God, was it a particularly beautiful October? And he was like, Oh Lord. <laughs> yeah. But he, but I'll bring him up now to show him like the light or or a bird doing something or whatever. But those mindful moments have look. The pandemic is shocking and it's shocking on business and yeah. economy and for anyone that has lost a loved one it's 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 just dreadful but i i hope we come out of it differently i hope we that that mindfulness that that time i i said it in another interview so jack my oldest son is 18 and he's doing the leave insert and i feel that we kind of snuck a year with him back we we kind of grabbed him back for the maybe the last year of his childhood even though he would hate me to call him a child like but yeah we were doing Jenga and, and Monopoly and all the games that everybody was doing in lockdown, but I felt I just got him back for a little while and it's been kind of beautiful for yeah. that reason. You know, he would have been out all the time or working and doing studying and yeah. And I think you're touching on a really important point here because when it comes to creativity, it's about finding balance, I find, you know, and, yeah. and all the research backs that up. So, um, you know, what I'd say is don't, don't quote me, the books are there, you know, uh, <laughs> and the research is there. But and, and we're not going to go into detail on this. So I'm going to reassure you on this. We, before the podcast, we were talking about the work that we did on ourselves, you know, yeah. and for me, you know, I know certain experiences for myself. You know, I, I suffer from post-traumatic stress, you know, and for me, there was a certain journey you have to do to get to your full potential. And, you know, I think if anybody's listening there is, is there, self-care is really important. And part yeah. of that is actually figuring out what's your baggage, what's what do you need to let go of, you know? And again, in terms of that, it's a bit like you were talking about that rewiring yourself to mindfulness, you know, and that's what it is. It's just, you're yeah. rewiring your brain. I went out yesterday morning and I went, look at the beautiful moon to my two boys. And I took them out of the car. I, was, I got them out of their car seats. And I says, look at that moon. Now, usually I would be like, get in the car quick, do what you ever need to do. And for me, I have never been at my most creative self or my expressive self, or I've never felt more happy or successful, even though I'm on less money, obviously, because the pandemic and like every business yeah. I've suffered. But for me, 
I'm saying, oh, this is, I'm meeting my potential as a dad now. I'm meeting my potential as a creative business person or as that person who likes to network with people and to really act as a multiplier. I suppose that's really why I set up in business was, wasn't about me, it was to help others, you know, and I'm realizing an ambition with the podcast, you know, so I do think there's that rewiring that needs to happen, but part of that process is work, isn't it? Well, you see, um, I think the pandemic for some people that are some people are telling me that they find it really, really difficult at home. And actually, people that I would have thought were more introverts are dying to get back out. Yeah. I, I, people would say that I, I'm very extrovert, but actually I like being on my own and I like being in my own space. But going back to talking about working on yourself after I was so ill, I found it very difficult to do two things, actually, to have a shower or have a bath. Some, there was something intensely claustrophobic about that so okay. I could neither try and in the bath so to wash my hair was a big problem I know this sounds a bit daft but I have a point to make about this and it was definitely some sort of post-trauma trauma mm. um, so I ended up going to a therapist and um, I think everybody should go to therapy but find a good one yeah. <laughs> okay. oh yeah good. there's yeah, a lot of quacks yeah, out there yeah, yeah. make, make sure they have a cert <laughs> yeah <laughs> well absolutely and then that's very important too because it's but why I went was this is this is really interested me. I went because I thought I might be suffering from hypochondria because I thought that it was the most ridiculous 18 months of my life. And why couldn't I just mm. get my, what was frustrating me in my recovery is like, why am I not better? Why am I still feeling like this? Is this sickness and post post infection or is this sort of depression? Because I would never suffer from depression and I was wondering so I went to the therapist anyway so I told her my whole long story of my health because I had a brain clot on my second son and a, and a pulmonary embolism when I was on my first son and she goes mm, and actually you're dangerously dismissive of your health and she goes, yeah you're actually and it was just so lovely that somebody actually validated it and said no you have to be really careful because you were actually quite dismissive of yourself, actually. Yeah. And that opened up a whole can of worms. Um, I remember once she said, and it was interesting, she goes, Elaine, you really need to find out what you um, what you like in life. What do you like? So we were going on holiday. So she said to me, I said, what do you mean? What I, do I like? I know what I like. And actually, when I thought about it, I was like, do I really know what I really like? <laughs> Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay, I like poetry, but... She goes, oh, yeah, but not the academic intellectual stuff. She goes, what kind of ice cream do you like? So yeah. she goes, you're going on holidays. When you come back, tell me what kind of ice cream you like. And I remember going back into her and she goes, well, and I said, I don't actually like ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd eaten it all my life and I didn't like it. And yeah. I just thought that that was just it was just giving you the permission for your own little quirks and the creative stuff you like and just on creativity as well. It doesn't always have to have an outcome. So you said there, you looked at the moon with the boys. That was just, it was its own thing. I think we're fixated on boxes at the moment, tick boxes in, you know, Mm. it's a very capitalist way of looking at the world, I think, is if you're creative, have you created something? So have you a book at the end? Sometimes just to go outside and feed birds or whatever it is, it doesn't have to have a big output it doesn't all it can just be creativity for creativity's sake you know um exactly what you said just taking your time and not rushing did you find that as a dad yeah rushing we were rushing there and shoving kids out the door and come on come on come on come on and yeah no one was getting anywhere any faster no (laughs) no I may as well have not I've just you know I just left the door open at all the heat out of the house doesn't matter it was open and closed anyways you know I you know, you know, and I think I think we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves because it's a bit like you were talking about that tick box, wasn't it? Yeah. You have to do this and you have to go to this play date, you know, oh, and all this. I just I remember growing up, we didn't have any of those pressures. No, play dates are bananas. They, they I found that really stressful as a young mother, yeah. actually. The play date and the etiquette of it, or the birthday parties, and all the parents come now. Yeah, you can't have a child's birthday party. Just drop them. It's fine. Go, please. I don't want you in my kitchen. I don't know who yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think it's about giving yourself the permission to yeah. just not want to get involved with some of that stuff. And some people love that, and that's wonderful. Yeah. Again, about what you love, what are you like? But yeah, and it, it is that piece then about 
you know, realizing your ambitions is really about self-knowing. What is it that you like? What is it you don't like? What are your passions? What are your strengths? What are the gaps too? So we were talking about, you know, feedback and rejection is, listen, how do I close that gap? And, you know, in terms of creativity, then it's about, it's a process really, isn't it? Because it's about enjoy the journey, you know, versus the destination, you know, and that's something I continually work on is, is that, you know, it's it's just to enjoy the, the journey, you know, so it's a bit like me pointing out the moon or you pointing out a bird to Ray. You know, I think there is something about that creativity that you need that. Um, I interviewed Margaret Atwood last week or the week before. Wow. Yeah, it was it was actually another wonderful highlight of 2020. And, you know, something it was so intimate looking in her study on Zoom. Actually, it was a very bizarre moment when it said Margaret Atwood has entered your waiting room. I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? But anyway, but she said something really profound. I asked her um, and it will be in the poetry review. Hopefully it'll be online. So I'll share it on my Twitter. But she she, at the end of the interview, I said to her, Margaret, you've got you've published so many, like 50, 60 books at this stage. How do you keep going? You know, and clearly, you know, she gets amazing reviews and I'm sure she's gotten some not so amazing ones and so on. And. And this was a poetry collection that she just published. And I was wondering, like, what, what motivates someone to keep going, you know, and, and publish another one? And it's a fabulous collection. Um, and she just looked at me and she goes, Elaine, you have to take some weight off. And you, when you're writing, think of nothing but what you're writing for yourself at that time. All the other stuff comes later. All the going to publishers, whatever, showing it to other people. But in those moments, that's just you and what you're doing. You have to just think that way. She was basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, it will be verbatim in the interview. But she was basically block out, block out everything else. It's just you and 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 what you've absorbed coming out. Um, and it was re- it was really profound found and I think I'm at that stage in life where I'm like trying to get these wise nuggets of these people who have stayed the course like the, yeah. it's amazing they're amazing people the Roddy Doyles the Stephen Kings the yeah. Margaret Atwoods you, you know they really did stay the course anyone that stays the course in art I think or in anything they're you know yeah. a marriage even you know it's yeah like, <laughs> keep, keep going you know yeah if you focus on on that creativity or you focus on the work then success will follow it's a bit like you know from you talk about marriage for yourself like for me you know i think you know the pandemic you know you, you nearly even work harder on your your marriage you know to, to enhance that communication and all that you know that goes with it you know, isn't what it? Actually, do you know what I find? Well, there's no point in having a row because I'm stuck with him. Like I work with him. He's in the house. <laughs> yeah. We're stuck with each other in the evening. So like, it's not like yeah. I can have a big row and head off into town go out with the girls. Yeah. I can't do that. So I've noticed like he's a much more <laughs> placid maybe. I, I I call myself very passionate. You know, he goes, oh, is this another one of these bouts of passion? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Who didn't unload the dishwasher? Don't worry, it's just passion. Um, so yeah there's been sort of for us it's been a really mannerly sort of engagement so so obviously during our work day we will have lunch together and we'll go for a walk but we, we're both quite busy he's very busy at the moment too so we have this sort of work professionalism going on and I realise how much I actually really like him and like working with him so oh look at you <laughs> but I, I'm sure it must be really hard for some people like Oh yeah, and, I don't know. And with my mediator hat on now, I just want to to really congratulate you <laughs> on the power of reframing because uh, some people will say might call it a, a different word to passionate, maybe something more negative. But you've put a a positive frame on that, and it's great that Ray has. Um, I have another has, great phrase. Oh, please do. <laughs> I have another great marriage phrase. Um, Oh, darling, it's not criticism, just an observation. <laughs> and he goes, oh, don't, don't, don't start that. But the kids have even done it. Remember, Dad, not criticism, observations. Just observations. observations. I have but noticed. It is, yeah, it yeah. is. It's a good nugget. <laughs> so speaking of nuggets, then, that's a good segue for me because we're coming to the end of the podcast right now. And I have to say, I wonderfully enjoyed this. Um, yeah, it's, been, it's been brilliant. Um, so what are the kind of key takeaways then that you'd offer our listeners um 
so is specifically for writing or just in general in life? In, in, in general, in terms of creativity and, and yeah. that career move. Yeah, just hold your nerve, I suppose. And, and you know, I, I really think that the creative process is really important. You know, it, it, think back to when you were a kid, OK? They say that when you were nine or ten, whatever you were doing at that stage, right, Um is what what your passions are. So if you anyone who has kids will see they're playing guitar, they might be kicking football or they might be drawing, whatever it is. They're the things that they, that's what you really like because you're spending a lot of your time doing that as a kid. Of course, loads are on screens now, so that's not a great example. But what were you doing at that age? And actually, it's really interesting. I'm going to divulge something. I actually wrote a play, um, Mr. Corliss, that, that was around Rockmount with a oh, friend really? of mine called Claire Haynes. <laughs> And she has a copy. We wrote it on an old computer in her house years ago. And it was all based around the horse scene. So you might have had an appearance in one of my plays when I was about 10 or 11. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, but, but, what, but what's interesting about that is that's what I was doing at that age. So that's yeah. obviously what I found my way back to. And I went I went down other roads. I thought, you know, oh, maybe I'd do this or maybe I did get involved in... Um, you know, departmental stuff with education and that. But in the end, yeah, the, the call of writing and creativity really was very strong. So think back to that and what, what makes you happy and what do you like? It's like what my therapist said to me, what ice cream do you yeah. like? I don't like ice cream. Well, then don't eat it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. It's really about following your true passions, isn't it? I got something similar, you know, um, and I, I did. I went to a lot of career coaches and, and, and stuff like that and really tried to figure out what my own path was and what do you spend your time doing? And for me, you wouldn't really connect me to reading a lot of self-help books. I think if you met me, Elaine, you know, I, I think the, from what you saw of me, you're kind of going, nah, I wouldn't have seen that in William Cordes, no. you know, but that's what I was doing secretly, you know. Um, <laughs> and my friends would tease me. Elaine knows all of my friends. So, you know, I'm sure the lads uh, tease me quite a bit about that. Actually, I know and they still do. Um, but for me, it is following your true passion, isn't it? And yeah. you're, you talk about your, your calling there. And I have just thought about how we can introduce giveaway of your wonderful book um, <laughs> so so would you like to tell us about the book um before before we leave and yeah. why would why would people be interested in in reading that so my book is called as you were and it centers around a woman in hospital um she was very busy woman and got quite ill so obviously there's a little bit of you know auto fiction at the start but um her marriage isn't so wonderful. So we, I, I part company with her. So she's Sinead, but she meets the she meets a motley crew of strangers on a ward in a Galway hospital. Um, a working class matriarch, Margaret Rose Sherlock from back the West. She's a gas ticket with two daughters, Nikita and Michaela, and then Jane Lohan, who has dementia. And these two women are like oracles to Sinead because Sinead has she's a property developer and she's taken her eye off the ball in life. And, and again, she it's about finding your way back, isn't it? It's about like finding your way back to what 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 does love mean really is the essence of the novel yeah. the two women are great crack but they also have been through the mill now they've had a terrible you know terrible yeah I'm not selling it very well but it's it's funny in parts it's also very dark in parts as well but there's a bit of good Galway humor in it so yeah and it's got rave reviews yeah. like I've been reading it you know so the Irish Times the Guardian you know you, it's been great and Elaine we were trying to figure out what is the best way for us to give away the two books so I'm going to give a question right now all right and <laughs> it, it, and and the question to our listeners are who did Elaine Feeney interview all right. What famous <laughs> author? And their, their book became a very popular Netflix series. Would that be a good question, Elaine? Would you like that? That's a great question. <laughs> OK, OK. And we have two copies to give away. So uh, if you contact me, William at yellowwood.ie, you would be uh, in the running to get one of the, the books by Elaine, which is great. Amazing. And Elaine, if they, people were to buy your book, if they, people were to get in contact with you, because I know you do creative writing workshops as well, how might they do so? So um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, so you'll find me on Twitter. And um, I'm also Peter Strauss in London is my agent for any business writing queries of that nature. You'll find him online. 
uh, just Google me. I'm there. Yeah. So, so, um, and what was the other question? I can't remember. Is that okay? <laughs> that, that is perfect. <laughs> or, or sometimes I go see swimming in Black Rock and Galway. You might find me there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, come up and have a chat. Oh, you can buy the book basically anywhere. Anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So find Kenny's your, bookshop we're promoting find, as well. Find your indie bookstore. I suppose Charlie Burns is my, my, my love and the gutter in Dublin. So yeah, but Charlie's in Galway and tell Vinny I sent you in. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Elaine, it has been such a pleasure to have you today on the Workplace Podcast. Um, And I'm sure our listeners uh, really enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.